Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Today, as we dive into this last week, we're going to focus one more time on this subject of the kingdom, this Christian manifesto. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, that phrase, manifesto, uh, defined, it means a public declaration of aims or goals. It, it carries with it this thought that there is a new leader in charge, and under their leadership, under their governance, everything is about to change. Uh, what was once acceptable and permissible and common practice is no longer now that this new leader has been installed. They have a new manifesto, a new way of life for everybody to adhere to. And, and as you study the teachings of Jesus, you will see that that is exactly what he begins to speak of as he introduces the world to this thing called the kingdom. He's saying, if I am your king, if I am going to be your leader, if you are going to follow me, it will require an all-in approach. It's going to change everything about your life. It's so radical, so different from everything that you've known that, in fact, hence the upside-down graphic, it's going to feel like you are living your life upside down. It's going to change your value systems. It's going to change the way you spend your resources. It's going to change the way you invest your time. Everything is going to be flipped upside down if you're going to be in my kingdom. And so in light of those assertions from Jesus, we've been asking ourselves a question every single week, confronting one, but an appropriate one, to ensure that if we are calling ourselves followers of Christ, we are embracing this kind of a lifestyle, and that is this. Am I a kingdom person? Have the teachings of Jesus so affected me that it has flipped my life upside down? Can I say with assurance, I am a completely different person today than I was before I met Christ. And today, one last time, we are going to consider that question as we study our last of the kingdom principles. And uh, if, you, uh, if you've been joining us along the way, you know we've been looking at a different one every week. But this one, although we haven't talked about it explicitly, it's been subtly woven into every single one of our subsequent sermons. And here's the subject I want to talk about today. The cost of the kingdom. The cost what, is it, what does it cost to be a member of the kingdom? If you were to go back and look at every one of the sermons we've preached or go back and look at every one of the teachings of Jesus in scripture, here's what you'll find. Every kingdom principle has a cost. It costs us something if we're going to embrace the kingdom and be kingdom people. We talked about making Jesus first at the beginning of this series. Well, if he's gonna be first, it will cost us a lot of other things that sit in first place in our life. If we're going to embrace the speed of the kingdom, as we've discussed, it will cost us this need for things to be expedient and quick and microwaved as, as it is in our culture. Last week, Robin and I talked uh, about resolving conflict in the kingdom. If we're going to resolve conflict in the kingdom, it will cost you your right to be right. It will cost you your pride in the process. Every kingdom principle comes with a cost. And Jesus was not shy about introducing the, the very costly way of life that comes along with the kingdom. He was not a carrot dangling leader. He wasn't allowing people to come into the kingdom under false pretenses. He was very clear that if you're going to do this thing called the kingdom, it will be an expensive endeavor. He said in Luke chapter nine, a guy spoke up and he said, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus looks back at the guy and he says, hey, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay down his head. In other words, if you're gonna follow me, you don't get to just live wherever you wanna live and do whatever you wanna do. It may cost you some comfort in the process. Another guy chimed in, he said, I will follow you, but let me go first bury my father. He was a young man and his father still had many years before he would pass away. And Jesus looks back at this kid and he says, let the dead bury the dead. My job is, or your job is to go and preach the kingdom. 
Another guy chimes in, I'll follow you wherever you go, but, but, but let me first go say goodbye to my family. And he said, anyone who puts their hand to the plow, but then looks back is not worthy of the kingdom. There's some cost. He spoke about it further in Luke chapter 14. He said, no man begins to construct a building and doesn't count his dollars beforehand. Otherwise he might pour the foundation and not be able to finish the project. No king goes out to war, he says, without counting his troops first to make sure he's got a sizable enough army to take on his enemy. Otherwise, he might go out onto the battlefield and be destroyed in the process. So you should count the cost. So you should consider whether or not you've got what it takes to be a kingdom person. Time and time again, Jesus reminds us there is a cost to this thing called the kingdom. And today we're going to look at one of these invitations that Jesus makes to a man whose name we don't know. The scripture only calls him the, the rich young ruler. As Jesus invites him to come into the kingdom, he begins to make clear, this is going to be a costly endeavor, but I'm inviting you in. Uh, if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to Luke chapter 9, or excuse me, Luke chapter 18, verse 18. And uh, we're going to read a, a sizable portion of scripture here. It's on the screen if you, if you don't have a Bible. Uh, but, but here we go. It says, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't kill anybody. Don't steal. Don't testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. And the man replied, I've obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, well, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then you can come and follow me. But when the man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. When Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom. Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? And he replied, what's impossible for people is possible with God. Come on, that statement right there will preach all by itself. What's impossible with people is possible with God. But then Peter said, we've left everything to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. Long story, and, and every time I read this story in scripture, I have this image that pops into my brain, and this image served as the inspiration for the title today. It says, when this man came to Jesus, and Jesus invited him to come and follow him, the man was unwilling to embrace the cost. It says that he walked away sad. He walked away sad. Uh, to that end, in, in keeping with our upside down theme, I wanna, I wanna call this chat today, turn that frown upside down. Turn that frown upside down. Come on, let's pray and uh, we'll get into the rest of this. Father, we thank you for your presence today. We thank you for all you've accomplished in our hearts and in our lives over these last eight weeks in this series. And we pray that today as we go to your word one last time uh, in, in this particular conversation that you would once again show us what it looks like to be kingdom people and that we would be willing to cross over that line to embrace the cost of the kingdom in order to live out the high call of God on our lives. We love you and we thank you that you've invited us into this beautiful thing called the kingdom of God here on earth. It's an honor and it's a pleasure to serve you as our king. Uh, speak to us today in Jesus' name and the church said amen, amen. 
So I, I have mentioned to you a number of times uh, from the stage that prior to planting this church, uh, Robin and I were uh, youth pastors and young adult pastors, among other things, at another church for a decade. Uh, but I've never given any specifics about the other job that we had at the time. Um, honestly, I've been afraid that it was a conflict of interest. And so what I'm about to tell you, I've, I've never actually mentioned from a stage before because I never wanted to abuse the platform as an opportunity for personal gain. Uh, but having retired from my previous career virtually at this point, uh, I feel like it's safe to do so without worrying about those concerns. Uh, for the last 19 years, uh, I've owned and operated a real estate practice in Solano County. And uh, that real estate practice has come in a number of different forms. For the last eight years or so, uh, my folks and Robin and I have been flipping properties together. Uh, we had a little hashtag on Instagram called Flippin' Biddles. It was great. Um, I thought it was kind of cute. No one called us for a TV show, but that's fine. It's whatever. Uh, but if you rewind about 14 years ago, my predominant focus in real estate was in the foreclosure world. Um, through a series of events, I became the, the primary broker for the top 10 banks in our nation uh, who, who was entrusted with selling foreclosure properties in our county. And over the course of about three or four years, I ended up selling like 400 homes for a lot of these banks, uh, which sounds like a great opportunity. And it was, it was, it was all kinds of fun. Um, but there was a lot of unglamorous work that came along with being a foreclosure agent. Uh, for example, as a foreclosure agent, it was my job to deliver eviction notices to people's doors, to knock on the door, hand them an envelope and say, hey, this is not your house anymore and the bank is repossessing it. I thought the Mormons had it bad, but my, my job was rough. No one likes the eviction guy. Like I was yelled at, I was threatened, I was cussed at. People came to the door with guns in their hands. People literally shot said guns in the air to get me off of their property. Uh, it was nuts, it was a crazy job. I remember one time, um, Robin came with me to one of the evictions uh, on our way out for a date night. Because <laughs> nothing says romance. Like, let's evict somebody on the way to the restaurant, right? So I show up to this guy's door and I knock on the door and he knew it was coming. He'd gotten all the notices in the mail and he knew that, that I was there to deliver the eviction notice and he was not happy. So he came to the door ready to go. He had a knife in his hand and uh, he began to chase me down the driveway and I look back and I've never seen this look on my wife's face before. It was like a mixture of terror and like weirdly joy at the same time because she didn't know how to do anything. She's just like. <laughs> and the guy thought she was making fun of him. So he starts threatening her and I'll spare you the details, but you know, I was trying to be a good husband in the moment. And so I got in the car and drove off. It was great, but uh, we fled the scene as quickly as possible. She never came with me to another eviction after that. Shocker, right? Uh, but to make matters worse, we were pastors at a church at the time, and it was a very large church in our community, and I had become one of the main communicators on the weekends when our pastor was out of town, and so I had a somewhat familiar face in the community, and since it was a large church, it was not uncommon for me to show up on the doorstep of people from the church and then deliver their eviction notice, but they didn't know that's why I was there. They'd open the door, hey, Pastor Tim, how you doing? So good to see you. You want to come in for coffee? What brings you here? And I'm like, I'm just here to pray for you real quick. Uh, I feel like I have a word from the Lord. It's time for you to move on is what the Lord is saying. And I've written this prophetic word down for you in this piece of paper. Please enjoy it. And you know, take off. <laughs> yeah, it was rough. It was rough for sure. But among the jobs that I hated as a uh, foreclosure agent, uh, my least favorite, hands down, was preparing CBA reports. And if that acronym is unfamiliar to you, CB CBA stands for a cost-benefit analysis report. Uh, 
usually when these banks repossessed homes, they were not in very good condition. People generally don't take care of assets that they're about to lose. And a lot of folks get bitter in the process. It was not uncommon for me to find a kitchen that was lit on fire or uh, stuff spilled all over the house or spray painted on the walls. People would pour concrete down the pipes just to ruin the plumbing so that we'd have to deal with it later. And so my job as I went into these properties was to collect a number of bids from various contractors and submit those to the bank so that the bank could determine if the repairs were worth doing, if the resale value was gonna be significant enough, then they would embrace the cost of those repairs because they saw the potential benefit. It would be so much easier for me to just sell the houses in their as-is condition, but the reason I hated the job so much is because 99% of the time, it was worth the investment. The banks saw the benefit on the other side of the cost. And so I became like a project manager that had to organize all these contractors and fix up the property before we would put it on the market. Now, ironically, later on down the road, after we flipped houses, I saw how this whole cost benefit thing worked. But as a young agent, the only thing I saw was the cost. That's all I could focus on. I saw the time I was gonna to have to wait to be reimbursed as I floated money out there for these banks. I saw the length of time it was gonna take for them to be repaired before I was ever gonna be paid a commission. I saw the cost associated with it, but I never saw the benefit. And as a result, it frustrated me and I hated what I was doing. And I think far too often as believers, we find ourselves in a very similar trap. We find ourselves hyper-focused on the cost of discipleship, the cost of being a believer. Man, Jesus is gonna make me give this up. He's gonna make me do that, I'm gonna lose this. And we see the cost, but because we can't see the benefit, we end up running away from the cost and forfeiting what could be ours on the other side of it. And ultimately, I think this is what we see here with this man in the book of Luke chapter 18, this rich young ruler, a guy who was incapable of doing a CBA. He was not willing to look at the benefit on the other side of the cost. And as a result, he forfeited what could have been his and he walked away sad. Come back to our text here for, for just a couple of moments. At first glance, and this is why it got a little quiet when I first started talking, it appears as though the cost under consideration today is monetary in value. But, but I wanna suggest to you that this is far more than money we're looking at right here. Yes, he is talking about money, but this is much greater than our financial resources. But in order to see that, we need to dig a little bit further into this text and see what's taking place. The whole story starts out with this man calling out to Jesus, good teacher. And Jesus replies to the man, he says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this man seems to at least have a semblance of belief that Jesus could be the Messiah. But by calling him good, he is essentially acknowledging the deity of Jesus. Hey, hey you could be God. And that's an important detail because if this man believed that Jesus was the Messiah, then we could call him a believer. But what Jesus shows us here in this text right from the get-go is that belief by itself is not enough for kingdom entry. There's a lot of people that believe in Jesus, but they aren't serving him. A lot of people who believe, but are not submitted to his leadership. James chapter two says, even the demons believe in Jesus's name and they shudder in fear. But let me tell you, the demons are not on their way to heaven right now. <laughs> 
Belief is not enough. That's why to me, one of the most terrifying scriptures in the entire Bible is Matthew chapter seven, verse 21. Jesus says, many people will call me Lord on that day. They, they, they've called me Lord, Lord, Lord. We, we, we went to church, we, we sat in the chairs, but I'm gonna declare, I never, I never knew you. Why? Because you never did the will of my father who is in heaven. You knew me by name. You believed that I existed, but you were never submitted to my lordship. And this man, while he might have been a believer, was about to receive an invitation to cross over the line from casual believer to committed follower of Christ. And here are the terms of the invitation, which by the way, are not exclusive to him. They are the terms of the invitation for anybody who wants to follow Jesus. He says this, hey, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother. And then the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, yeah, but there's still one you gotta, you gotta embrace. Sell everything, give the money to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then you can come and you can follow me. Can, can we keep that scripture just on the screen for, for, actually the first part of that scripture on the screen if we could for just a moment. This is such an interesting invitation to me because Jesus tells this guy, entry fee to the kingdom is to obey the commandments. This is, this is what it's going to look like for you. And then he begins to list off some of the commandments. Let's, let's count them if we can. Uh, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, honor mom and dad. How many you got? I got five. Oh, yeah, we got five, okay. <laughs> Last I checked, there's more than five, right? So, 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 so is Jesus just missing something here? Is he having kind of a brain fog moment? He's like, man, I feel like there's more. Um, come on. No, Jesus was not forgetful, but he was strategic. And rest assured, there is some strategy woven into this text that the casual observance will not see unless we dig a little bit deeper. You guys down to dig deep this morning? Can, can we go into the deep end of the pool? We up for that? Put on your water rings, kids. Here we go, okay? So, so the Ten Commandments, as the Bible calls them, the law, can be divided into two separate categories. For the sake of visual purposes, they are vertical and they are horizontal. They deal with my relationship with God and my relationship with people. The, all of the law falls into those two categories. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22, the entirety of the law and the prophets can be summed up in two, not 10 commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is equally as important. Love your neighbor, love other people as you love yourself. As some have put it even more concisely, love God, love people. Tell you what, you do those two things, you're gonna be just fine. Love God and love people. That's the entirety of the law. But notice here in this text how Jesus does not mention any of the vertical commands. He only mentions the horizontal ones. Hey, honor mom and dad. Make sure you don't lie to other people. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal from others. All of them horizontal commands. He doesn't mention any of these. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods but me. Don't make for yourself any idol. Don't misuse the name of the Lord. Keep the Lord's Sabbath holy. All of the commandments that have to do with our relationship with God are not mentioned in his invitation to this man. Why? 
Why does Jesus seem to leave out what he himself says is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, to understand that, we must move a little bit further on into this text. After Jesus makes this invitation to the man, the man says, hey, I've done all these things since I was young. I've done the horizontal stuff. And then what does Jesus say? He says, there's still one thing you lack. Go sell all your possessions Give your money to the poor, and then you can come and follow me. Which is not a commandment, by the way. There is no commandment for you to sell everything and give all the money to the poor. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so, so, so why would Jesus speak this commandment into this man's life? Well, because he's addressing the first commandment to love the Lord your God by revealing to this man that his heart is anchored in something other than the king. What he is revealing here is he says, sir, you do love something with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and it ain't God. There is something that is sitting in a place of affection of your life above the Father. And you know what it is, and I know what it is, So I'm going to talk to you directly about that thing that's sitting in the primary position in your life. And I'm going to make it very clear. If you want to follow me, it will cost you that area of affection in your life. Suddenly we begin to see that this is not just about money, is it? It's about something much greater than money. It's about a heart. This man didn't have a generosity problem. He had a heart problem. There was something in his life that had captured the affections of his heart more so than God. And so Jesus says, hey, I'm going to talk to you about the thing that has your heart. And until you are ready to surrender that, until you're ready to count the cost of that which has your affections, you cannot come and follow me. I am not going to dangle a carrot and let you follow me under false pretenses to think that you can get all the benefits of the kingdom without embracing the cost of the kingdom. There's a cost. And that cost is, I better sit in that first position of authority in your life. There's a cost. And let me do all of us a favor today, lest we find ourselves in similar deception. There is a cost to following Jesus. It will cost everything that sits in a position of affection over him in our lives. Do not be fooled. Following Jesus is the most costly endeavor you will undertake. Grace is a free gift, but it's got a whole lot of strings attached. (laughs) It will cost you everything. It'll cost you some friendships in the process. It may even cost you some relationships with family members in the process. It will cost you your dreams and your passions and your plans for your future. It will definitely cost you your comfort. Hey, it'll also cost you newsflash the American dream because God is far less concerned about the American dream than he is his dream over your life. There's some costs involved in the process. Hey, this thing is not a buffet, okay? We don't get to come to Jesus and go, you know what I'm gonna take? I'm gonna go ahead and take the blessing. I'm gonna take a little bit of the favor. I'll take the healing. I'll take the increase and the protection. Ooh, ah, self self, uh, oh, die to self and serve other people and oh, giving of my reason. Those hurt my little tum-tum. I don't want those things. Let's put those back. This thing is not a buffet. Following Jesus ain't cheap. And you don't want it to be cheap. Nothing good in life is cheap. 
That Fuji purse you bought on Market Street, it ain't gonna last. The cheap stuff never lasts. The dollar menu might feel good in the moment, but come on, you're gonna pay a cost for that thing later on down the road, right? That shirt you bought from Forever 21, it might look good on that one day, but it will not last forever, nor will it last for 21 days. That thing's gonna go. No single woman in this room is looking for a cheap man. Come on, somebody. Hey, what's up, boo? I got you something from the dollar store because I love you. Bye. <laughs> Y'all want that fifth harmony to Baby, you're worth it. Boom, boom, boom. You're worth it. Yeah. Nothing good is cheap. And if God is good, which he is, then there will be a cost to surrendering to his plan and becoming a member of his kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom is like a man who found a pearl of great value and went and sold everything so that he could just get that pearl. It is of incredible value to be in the kingdom, but it will cost you. It will cost you. So to that end, let me ask you the confronting question. What cost are you counting right now? What cost? What does it cost you to be in the kingdom? For this man, it was his money because money had his heart. And maybe today that's your thing. I'm not naive enough to believe that everyone in this room's got that one sorted out. Maybe it is your resources. Maybe you have yet to trust Jesus in the area of tithing and generosity and the idea of giving money to the kingdom is just not a part of your, your Christian experience yet. Well, Jesus said where your, your treasure is, there your heart is also. So if he's gonna have your heart, it's gonna require an investment of your treasure. And if that's the case for you, then you don't need any further application of this text. You can take it quite literally today. Does he have my resources? But, but maybe that's not your thing. Maybe there's some other things that Jesus would speak to you he said to the man, this one thing you lack, sell it all and give to the poor. Maybe the one thing you lack, he'd say, son, daughter, I need you to get out of that relationship because it doesn't honor me. You're unequally yoked with that person. You're living in sexual sin and you, you can't be yoked up with them and yoked up with me. Maybe it's, hey, your living situation right now does not honor me. I need you to get out of that house. You think that you can stand temptation while you're in that environment, but you, you need to get out of that. You know it, I know it. This one thing you lack, trust me, I'll, I'll bring you into a new space. Maybe it's surrender the plans for your future. Maybe it's surrender your sexuality. Maybe it is surrender your, your need to be in control or your need to be approved. It looks different for all of us. There is a different cost, but rest assured that Jesus will consistently speak to that thing over and over and over and over again until you are ready to lay it at the foot of the cross and say, I surrender this so that I can be a part of the kingdom. He's faithful to do that. So what cost are you counting? Because listen, if you don't count the cost, you will find yourself in the same space as this man. What did Luke chapter 18 say? It says that he walked away sad. He walked away. I wonder how many people walk away sad. Walk back into their brokenness. Walk back into their unfulfillment. Walk back into their toxicity. 
never receiving what God has for them because they don't want to embrace the astronomical cost of the kingdom. But if you find yourself there today, if you've walked away or you're turning in the end process, let me offer some advice that will help you turn your frown upside down. <laughs> and it's advice that I'm intimately familiar with, not just as a real estate agent, but also as a member of the kingdom. And it's this. Today, I strongly encourage you to do a little basic cost-benefit analysis. To take a look at the benefits of the kingdom instead of the cost of the kingdom. Because that's what Jesus does here. After he watches this man walk away, he begins to speak to his disciples. And one of them, Peter, he chimes up and he says, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. We left it all. We counted the cost to follow you. And look at how Jesus responds to Peter. And as we do this, I'll invite the band to come and we'll conclude in just a few moments. But he says this in Luke chapter 18, verse 29. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you, I promise you, I guarantee you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children or resources or time or reputation, anyone who's given up these things for the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. That's the benefit right there. That's the benefit of the kingdom. Anyone who has given it all up for the cause of the kingdom will receive many times over in this life and will have life in the world to come. Friends, that benefit far outweighs the cost. That far outweighs the cost. And I can testify, because this is more than just a concept to me. This is my story. This is my story. About two years before um, we planted the church here, I was in my office at our old house in another city, and I was reading through this passage of scripture, Luke chapter 18, the, about the rich young man. And at the time, we knew that God was calling us to come to San Francisco, to follow him into this city. But like the man in this story, I was having a difficult time as I wrestled with the cost of that decision. Not just the financial cost, although we all know it's a financial undertaking to live here for sure. I had a $1,400 mortgage payment and I could park in front of my house as long as I wanted without getting a $95 ticket. Luxuries I do not enjoy any longer. <laughs> and as I began to read through this text, I just couldn't help but think about all the costs it was gonna cost us some friendships that we had spent some years investing in. It was gonna cost us the beautiful church that we had spent the last, teens, last 17 years serving. It was gonna cost us all the ministries that we'd invested our lives in building at that church. It was gonna cost us living literally around the corner from my parents and Robin's parents and the built-in babysitting that was, was sitting right there for us anytime we wanted. It was gonna cost us the safety of raising our kids in a, in a small city. It was gonna cost us the sun in the summer. <laughs> Although we've been pleasantly surprised so far this year. It's been a great summer. To whatever intercessor has been praying for the sun, you're, I double your pay right now in Jesus' name. Was there, there was a significant cost in coming here. 
But as I read the text that day, I saw something greater than the cost. I saw the promise. I saw the benefits. I saw what Jesus began to speak of here. And, and so knowing that I was going to need to be reminded of this promise, I took a little chalk pen out of my desk. I had a, a chalk wall in my office because I'm a basic white girl. And uh, I began to write this scripture right there on the wall of my office in huge lettering. Whoever leaves home, friends, family, and safety, all the things that people chase in this life, whoever leaves those things for the sake of the kingdom will be repaid many times over in this life and will receive life in the world to come. And for two years, for two years, I would sit in the chair in my office and I would stare at that scripture on my wall. And I would pray. I would remind myself, God, this is your promise. And Lord, I pray that I would not walk away sad. I pray that we would not miss out on all the benefits you have stored up for us. Help us not get distracted by the cost, but to see the promise on the other side of them. And two years later, on January 19th, 2018, I erased those words from my wall. We packed the last of our possessions into a truck and we moved following Jesus into San Francisco. And can I tell you, four years later, that promise is proven true in our life. We have been repaid many, 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 many times over in this life. There is no greater joy than living in the center of God's will for your life. There is no greater fulfillment than sitting in the midst of what He's doing in this community. I love our city. I love our church. I love the community that God has brought together here. There are friends that we have now that we will have for the rest of our life that we would never have had we not stepped over that line and embraced the cost. There are families that have been restored, lives that have been set free, and we're not done yet. There are buildings to purchase and inheritances to step into authority to take in this city. We will be repaid many times over in this life if we embrace the cost of the kingdom and we say yes. Sit down. That's the invitation, people. To step over that line and say, I don't care what it costs because the benefits eclipse the cost every single let me pray that over us today as we conclude. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done in this city. We thank you for what you've done in this community and the lives of people. Thank you that you're a debtor to no man. If you said it, we can build our lives upon it. So right now as this invitation goes out, to the veteran followers and the new alike to count the cost. I pray that our hearts would say yes. That we would not be overcome by the costly nature, but that we would see the benefits on the other side. Listen, if you're here this morning, you say, hey, Tim, I am. Um, the line I need to cross over is the line that Jesus invited this man to cross over. I've been holding back from God and I haven't been ready to lay it all down at the altar. He doesn't have my heart as he did not have the heart of this man. 
Maybe at one time he did, maybe he never has before, but you know that today you need to say yes to making him Lord of your life. Say yes to his love. I wanna invite you to do that right now. And I wanna pray a very simple prayer of commitment with you if you need to make that decision. But as I invite you to pray that with me, if that's you today, would you just quickly identify yourself and say, Tim, that's me. I need to, I need to get things right with God. I got you, bro. Thank you, right on. Yeah, right on, man. Got you there, sir. Yeah, right over here, cool. All right, you can pray this simple prayer under your breath or you can pray it in your heart, whatever you prefer. Just say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I give you my heart. Would you be Lord and King? Forgive me of my past. Establish a relationship with me today so that I can walk in your ways, be your disciple and follow you from this day forward until that moment where I see you in eternity. And because of the decision I'm making today, you look me in the face and you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy which has been set before you. Today, I give you all of me and I receive all of you in return. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.